Welcome to the HR Power Hour, presented by Career Management Associates. I'm David Chulo. It's about all things in the human resource world. We're going to bring in local, regional, and national guests, and we're going to talk about a variety of topics and explain why human resource management is critical to your business success so that you can make decisions to keep and retain great talent. Welcome. I'm Tani Alvarez, and you're listening to HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM. We are recording live at Veral Dana's 2020 Annual Employment Law Update. And I am sitting here speaking with Eric Altols, partner in Veral's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Practice Group. And we are talking about some of the big changes that occurred in 2019. And earlier today, he presented on the SECURE Act. Eric, first, thank you for being here and recording with me. My pleasure, as always. And second, what is the SECURE Act? The the SECURE Act... The SECURE Act is the Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement Act. So that it's literally an acronym, right? It's not about the security I feel at home. It's it's an acronym <laughs> act. It's a yeah. It's it's one of. I mean, they've had some very challenging acronyms over the years, but they came up with a pretty good one here. I guess a little bit tortured, but it really does, I think, communicate uh, the policy purpose behind the act. Uh, which is really to expand access to employer-sponsored retirement benefits, uh, encourage uh, plan participants to do a better job and give them opportunities to do a better job to um, use and plan for retirement through the retirement benefits and uh, a whole bunch of other things that we can talk about if you want to. Well, you know I'm going to want to because one of the big things is, and, and we laugh about this all the time on the show, is talk to me about labor, talk to me about employment, but don't talk to me about anything related to ERISA or benefits or executive right. comp because it falls right. in a whole nother category that I am by no means competent to speak on. Right. Well, fortunately for you, I'm here to do that. Um, I will say this is one of this, this is uh, the type of legislation that really will have a very broad reach. Any employer that has a 401k plan is going to be affected by this generally in positive ways and there are some elements of the act that will affect every single employer sponsored retirement plan whether it's a 401k plan 403b plan defined benefit pension plan what have you uh, if it's a benefit plan it's probably going to be affected by at least some element of the secure act so this isn't a statute that's only applicable to companies who have over 25 million in revenues or who are employing right. over 500 people across the country or across the globe. Right. No, no, not not at all. Although there are there are elements of the act that are certainly aimed at small employers who do not now have retirement plans or who have what are called safe harbor plans uh, in a way to, uh, as I said before, increase access to employer-sponsored retirement benefits. So there's a bit of a targeting there. But uh, now it's going to have a very, very wide reach. Okay, so when we talk about a very wide-reaching plan or act, one of the things that I always question is, well, what are the key challenges? What are the takeaways that employers should be keeping at top of mind when they think Secure Act? What what should scare them? I guess mm-hmm. about the act itself. Yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say there's anything real scary in here, um, you know, sort of getting right at the risk of getting right into the weeds. Under the category of expanding access to retirement benefits, there is a provision that is designed to allow long-term part-time employees to get into plans. I think anyone who has spent any time dealing with uh, retirement plans knows about the thousand-hour rule. If you have an employee who's credited with a thousand hours of service, he or she is almost certainly going to have to come into the plan. But there's a whole category of employees part-time employees who never get close to a thousand hours, but they work year after year after year for the same employer in the same job and the same conditions. So one of the provisions that I suppose uh, could be considered a challenge for employers is one that requires that a part-time employee who has at least 500 hours of service in three consecutive calendar years has to be able to get into the 401k plan, again, if the employer has a 401k plan. So none of this is about forcing an employer to provide retirement benefits, but if there is a 401k plan and the employer has that class of employees, then they need to be able to get in. That's a class that's been considered to have been excluded under perfectly legal 
circumstances, but uh, the, the view of, of Congress is that those folks should be able to participate in the K plan. For those who are just tuning in, right now we are talking with Eric Altols, partner in Verrill's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Practice Group, and we're at Verrill's 2020 Annual Employment Law Update. We're talking about the SECURE Act, and one of the aspects, Eric, that you just mentioned about this 500-hour threshold is the fact that are we now looking at seasonal employees who potentially could fall within this categorization? I mean, a lot of employers would say that a seasonal employee isn't someone who would qualify under most of the benefit plans that they have. But based off of a 500-hour threshold, right, if you have an employee who's working for 12 or 14 weeks, 40 hours a week, you're very quickly at, at that 500 approximately range. If you put a little overtime in there, which we know a lot of seasonal workers are going to have overtime, um, quickly we have a whole new group of people who, who could fall within the plan, correct? Yeah, potentially. Um, but again, it's three consecutive calendar years of that 500 hours of work. So, uh, but, but you're right. I mean, you know, his, historically, the IRS has been very clear. It is not permissible to exclude people simply based on work schedules. So if you had a, a four, if you showed me a 401k plan document that said temporary, part-time, and seasonal employees are excluded, I would tell you you have a problem right now. Um, but you're quite right. There are vast cases, certainly in certain industries. Uh, agriculture is a great example. Even construction potentially, uh, where there are those employees, and I think those are the kinds of employers that will have to pay attention in a way they haven't before. But again, the purpose is to expand access to employer-sponsored retirement benefits. And that, you know, in my view, that's a very effective and targeted way to do that. So that's one of the challenges. Are there additional challenges that come with the SECURE Act? Really just, uh, I wouldn't really call them challenges, really opportunities. I mean, that is the one, that issue that you zeroed in on was is the one, the one example where people might have to change what they're doing in a way that may find challenging. You know, a great example of something that people have complained about for years and has actually been a compliance challenge from one of the employers is required minimum distributions or RMDs. Most people have, who deal with benefit plans regularly have internalized this idea that if a retiree reaches age 70 and a half, then minimum required distributions have to begin by April 1st of the next calendar year. Well, that's age 70 and a half has been moved to age 72 starting this year. So if you had someone who was a retiree and would have turned 70 and a half in 2020, now that person gets a break and can defer the beginning of required minimum distributions for another year and a half until reaching age 72. So that's viewed as something that will help employers from an administrative standpoint and also allow employees to leave their money in that 401k plan a little bit longer uh, before they have to start drawing down on it. So that's a great example of something that's going to affect every plan, not just a K plan, and is going to be a, a welcome change. Thank you so much, Eric, for taking time out of your day to sit down with me and discuss the SECURE Act in more detail. It was really helpful, both for me as a non-benefits and executive comp employee, and I'm sure for our listeners. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And let me just uh, make a shameless pitch to direct people to our website, employeebenefitsupdate.com, where we've got a detailed explanation of the SECURE Act that goes well beyond our conversation. Thank you so much, Eric. Thanks. We're going to take a quick break, but you've been listening to WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. We'll be right back. If you're responsible for hiring and firing, you know it can be like a roulette wheel. If your new hire turns out to be a bad hire, well, all you've lost is time and money. Hello, I'm David Chulo of Career Management Associates. Don't gamble with your hiring. We have a better solution. We've helped hundreds of companies like yours find the right talent, and we guarantee it. Career Management Associates delivers people that fit. Go to cmacareer.com. Are you looking to hire? Stop wasting time. Jobsinme.com has been matching main employers to job seekers since 1999. Job postings start at only $159 with their Quick Post product. Your employment ad can be distributed to over 75 job boards for maximum exposure. When it comes to recruiting locally, you can count on Jobs and ME to connect you with qualified candidates in this area. Visit JobsandME.com. That's JobsandME.com today. Stop searching and start hiring locally. 
At 154 years old, Verald Dana has an illustrious history and more than seven generations of legal expertise. With more than 130 attorneys across seven offices from Maine to Washington, D.C., Verald Dana serves clients across the country and around the world. HR professionals, business leaders, and in-house counsel count on Verald Dana, one of the premier labor and employment law practices in the Northeast. Contact them today at veraldana.com. Today's economic environment presents many challenges. It seems as though it's harder than ever to navigate the investment landscape to seek out adequate return and manage risk at the same time. ClearPoint Financial is a financial advocate for those who need assistance making complex decisions about how to manage their wealth. They inspire their clients to make informed decisions through education, communication, and service that exceeds expectation. Call Michael Toole at ClearPoint Financial, the official financial advisor of the Maine Black Bears. We're back, and today we are live at Verrill's 2020 Annual Employment Law Update, and we're talking to participants and presenters about 2019 and review and what 2020 looks like for them. We are here right now talking to Whitney Stover, HR consultant at AAA Northern New England. Thank you so much for joining us, Whitney. Thank you very much. So one of the things that we've been asking a lot of attendees is if you were going to look back at 2019, what is it that dominated your time as an HR consultant in 2019? Yeah, I think two of the biggest themes that we saw at AAA Northern New England in 2019, definitely highlighting recruitment and then retention for our employees. So I feel like that's something that we are talking a lot about. Is it something that you're experiencing just here in Maine, or is it throughout northern New England that you're seeing this issue? Yeah, that's a great question. I think recruitment-wise, we cover Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont. So recruitment-wise, the state of Vermont has been very difficult to staff. Uh, The unemployment rate there is under 1% right now. Whoa. So it's definitely, um, we felt that, (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. No, I can imagine. And especially, I mean, here in Maine, we're right around that 2 or 3%. Mm -hmm. But with 1% in Vermont, I can just imagine kind of the difficulty there. Now, what strategies has AAA Northern New England attempted to implement in order to hopefully attract people to AAA Northern New England? Yeah, for sure. So um, we have our... Um, tuition assistance program that will be rolling out in 2020. So that's really exciting for us to kind of attract new and exciting talent. And is that for individuals who are currently taking classes or or looking to further their education, or does it also apply if the individual um, is paying back student loans already? Unfortunately not. Um, It will be someone who is looking to further their education. Uh, There are some internal programs that need to be completed before they can apply for the program, tuition assistance program, and it is through a particular university that we are going to be going through. Um, So unfortunately we wouldn't be able to cover their existing student loans, but again, helping them in achieving their you know, what they're looking for to do in the future, education-wise. Absolutely. And I think that's so important, especially when we're talking about the benefits that are attracting people. Right. And when you're looking for individuals who um, maybe are in a lower-skilled position, mm-hmm. who you want to train, hopefully to stay with your organization and to rise within the ranks to either take on managerial responsibility or generally just to become more proficient in a certain area um, within the organization. I think the tuition reimbursement program is just an amazing benefit that does help to attract and retain those individuals for extended periods of time. Yeah, definitely. So it's going to be helping us with our recruitment efforts, but also with that retention piece, which is so key for us leading into 2020. Um, Some other pieces that we kind of implemented and we really see helping us in recruitment wise would be we have sign on bonuses for certain. Uh, positions, which has really helped. Um, They don't get it all in one lump sum. It is spread out. So again, the retention piece comes into play there as well. Absolutely. And I think that's so helpful because when we look at more and more statutes about the ability to recoup costs once you've given some type of financial benefit to an employee, there's very limited, especially in New Hampshire, kind of ways in which we can recoup that. So by having a retention element to those agreements is really very helpful. Yeah. So we're excited to see what those kind of bring us into 2020. 
Whitney, thank you so much for taking some time today to sit down and talk to me about the issues that AAA Northern New England experienced in 2019 and what dominated your time. And thank you so much for attending today's event. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, you too. You've been listening to HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Running a company can feel like you're surrounded. A key person quits. A big project presents itself. You need good people fast. Hello, I'm David Chulo of Career Management Associates. Our contract staffing service will fill a position or find the right talent for a short-term project. Hundreds of companies choose us because we deliver people that fit. Career Management Associates, your contract staffing solution. Go to cmacareer.com. Are you looking to hire? Stop wasting time. Jobsinme.com has been matching main employers to job seekers since 1999. Job postings start at only $159 with their Quick Post product. Your employment ad can be distributed to over 75 job boards for maximum exposure. When it comes to recruiting locally, you can count on Jobs and ME to connect you with qualified candidates in this area. Visit Jobsinme.com. That's Jobsinme.com today. Stop searching and start hiring locally. This tax season, AutoZone has everything your car needs. Did you know that with the Loaner Tool program at AutoZone, you can borrow a specialty tool with no purchase necessary? Choose from over 100 tools to help you get the job done right, no matter how big or small. And right now, get 5.25 ounces of Lucas Complete Field Treatment for $4.99 each or two for $8. Visit any of our 5,000 locations nationwide and let's get you what you need. Deposit required. Restrictions and details in store. Founded in 1958, Jackson Lewis is a national law firm with a local presence. The firm's 765 attorneys practicing in 54 locations throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico provide a wide range of resources to address every aspect of the employer-employee relationship. HR professionals, business and in-house counsels, and C-suite professionals count on Jackson Lewis as it has one of the most active employee litigation practices in the United States. Contact them today at jacksonlewis.com. That's jacksonlewis.com. We're back, and you're listening to HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. I'm Tawny Alvarez, partner at Verrill, and we're recording live today at Verrill's 2020 Annual Employment Law Update. And we are talking to presenters and attendees about general employment law in 2019 and looking ahead to what their top priority is in 2020. And I'm here right now talking to Sarah Jordan, HR Generalist at Penobscot Community Healthcare. Thank you for joining us, Sarah. Thank you. So I like to look prospectively and I like to look retroactively. So retro perspective, what dominated your time in 2019? Leave administration. Leave administration. Now, it's interesting because I feel as though this is, from a statutory perspective, something that we're seeing so much more focus and emphasis on. And when we look at employers who are trying to do the right thing, who already have some paid form of leave that is in place, um, when new statutes come into effect that maybe aren't clear about how they um, relate to currently created policies or practices, I find that that creates a ton of confusion. Are you experiencing that same issue? We haven't at this point because the organization that I work for is actually quite cutting edge. They always try to look at what's going to be trending. And so we actually already have policies in place that are enacted upon to have PTO at the same time that we have an FMLA or an ADA leave or anything like that. So that's been really helpful. And then if we see a trend shifting, we'll reassess the policy. And I think that that becomes a really good discussion because so often we're, especially in healthcare, talking about attracting and retaining individuals. 
And having leave policies that are set up in that format in a much more generous way is really helpful in, in attracting individuals into the organization and then retaining them because when they're looking at an organization that may be paying 50 cents or 75 cents more an hour, when you look at the leave policy, is that really plays a big role in that, in that benefit package. It does. So that was 2019. If we're going to look ahead and look at 2020, what's one of your top priorities for 2020? It's the retention component of leave administration. I've been doing it for about four years now. And so the employees that we have retained, some of them, they're coming back around for their second maternity leave or for something unexpected. And in that, um, a lot of times retention does come into play if something has been unexpected before. So kind of working with them around that. And one of the things I think we talk a lot about, and it becomes clear when we have these very one-on-one -on -one conversations, is the difference between what's required, what, what the baseline is, or what the floor of a leave policy or leave administration is, versus culturally who you are as an organization. Now, so often I feel like I'm talking to an employer who says, well, they're out of FMLA leave, so we're done. And I said, whoa, hold, hold on a second. That's, it doesn't end there, right? Correct. And for a lot of organizations, they know it doesn't end there, not just from an ADA standpoint, that they're going to be looking right. at accommodations, but instead, culturally, who are we and how much more leave is appropriate, whether for for bonding or for childcare or just a general kind of like health and well-being. Yes. And are you hearing from employees directly that they are appreciating that kind of accommodating nature and, and those that mindset and culture as to how to deal with leave? They do. Um, they appreciate it a great deal. I mean, I just got off the phone with someone yesterday that, you know, they get very concerned even though they're an employee in good standing a lot of times and then a life event happens unexpectedly and they have to go out and then they're thinking oh my gosh I only have so many days to get the documentation in and things like that and our organization is very understanding that life happens and we'll work with that. In attending Sarah today's um full day seminar, was there any specific topic that just captured your interest and you're like, I can't wait to hear that or I've really enjoyed that already? Um, all of it, honestly, so far. But the a lot of the statistics, whether it's court cases, I went to the breakout session for workers comp. Um, my coworker went to the mental health breakout session. So I think when we get back to the office, we're going to have quite a bit to talk about and collaborate on. Absolutely. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you taking time out to discuss the things that Penobscot Community Healthcare is doing and your role within the organization. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM. I'm Tawny Alvarez, and we're going to take a quick break. If you're responsible for hiring and firing... You know it can be like a roulette wheel. If your new hire turns out to be a bad hire, well, all you've lost is time and money. Hello, I'm David Chulo of Career Management Associates. Don't gamble with your hiring. We have a better solution. We've helped hundreds of companies like yours find the right talent, and we guarantee it. Career Management Associates delivers people that fit. Go to cmacareer.com. Are you looking to hire? Stop wasting time. JobsinME.com has been matching main employers to job seekers since 1999. Job postings start at only $159 with their Quick Post product. Your employment ad can be distributed to over 75 job boards for maximum exposure. When it comes to recruiting locally, you can count on JobsinME to connect you with qualified candidates in this area. Visit JobsinME.com. That's JobsinME.com today. Stop searching and start hiring locally. At 154 years old, Verrill Dana has an illustrious history and more than seven generations of legal expertise. With more than 130 attorneys across seven offices from Maine to Washington, D.C., Verrill Dana serves clients across the country and around the world. HR professionals, business leaders, and in-house counsel count on Verrill Dana, one of the premier labor and employment law practices in the Northeast. Contact them today at veraldana.com. And 
we're back, and you're listening to the HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. We are live today at the 2020 Verrill Annual Employment Law Update, and we are talking now to Scott Connolly, partner in the Labor and Employment Group here at Verrill. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Tani. It's great to be here with you. So, Scott, today you presented on two specific topics, and I'm going to say specific even though they're broad, right? One was hot topics on the horizon in human resources law, and then the other was employee leaves of absences, practical guidance for difficult issues. What I would love to focus on with you is one of the hot topics that we discussed, which was the evolution of employment agreements in the work environment. What are some of the issues that you are seeing more and more often from an employment agreement standpoint? Sure. Uh, As everyone knows, non-competes are changing across the country, and I frequently get calls from employers who want to hire an employee who's subject uh, to a non-compete agreement or some other restrictive agreement from their prior employer. And it usually goes like this. They call me and say, Scott, can we hire this person? We really want them. But here they have this agreement. Is it enforceable? And that's, I tell them that's really not the right question. What we want to do is try to predict human behavior. And the most important question to answer is, what is the prior employer going to do when they learn that this employee is working for you? I think that's a really great way to frame the issue because I think that's the way a lot of people call when they get an employee or they find an employee who they really want to hire, who they want to be part of their team. It's usually in that either right after the offer is made or kind of in the process of discussions is whether or not there's any restrictions on their employment. So when they find out that information and they give you a call, what are some things that they should have ready and at their disposal during the course of the conversation with you and help to increase the efficiency of, of your ability to advise and, and generally move the conversation forward? You know, you really have to think about what's the worst case scenario here. And the way to think about that is, are the two companies directly competitive? Um, because that will heighten the concern of the prior employer and make them worried, frankly, about the damage that the the departed employee can do to them in the marketplace. And it may prompt some irrational uh, response. And the worst case scenario is when a former employer runs to court to get an injunction or a temporary restraining order that sidelines the employee in an order from a judge saying, no, that employee can't work for you. That's, so that's really what you're trying to predict is the level of aggressiveness in the response. So what I like to know is what do the two companies do? Are they directly competitive? Are they selling to the same customers? And what type of products do they sell? Because that will allow me to evaluate how aggressive the response is going to be. I also want to know how important uh, of a role that employee had with the prior company. Was it their number one salesperson? Did they have access to very sensitive trade secrets and confidential information? Because that'll also help in a predictive way to to gauge the prior employer's response. It's interesting because I think that geographic realm of things plays a large role as well. Sometimes you'll see the issue being, and I know that I've experienced this, where it seems that everyone is heightened when the competitor or the movement is someone right down the street, right? When it's a small market and and access to kind of a, a limited pool of individuals and geographically they're really close in scope as opposed to someone who maybe is moving geographically further away um, generally or who, um, who doesn't have access to any confidential information or the information they had access to is easily known throughout the course uh, of the industry itself. I think that's exactly right. I think what you're hitting on is a a very common concern of former employers that relates to successful salespeople. And often, um, you know, an employee will cross the bridge and make the transition to new employment, but then they'll start calling on the same customers that they called on for their prior employer. And that gets back to companies and it, it can really enrage the executive team of the former employer because they think that they have an agreement that they paid for uh, whereby the, uh, the departed employee agreed to not do that. And they worry about losing goodwill and customer relationships. Another thing that I'd love to get your opinion on is this idea, this concept, when a client calls 
um, or even a potential client calls talking about the terms of this agreement and they argue about what the industry knowledge is. How much further information are you asking about the differences and processes and procedures for one entity or, or your client as opposed to how it's done generally in the industry as to concerns regarding kind of confidential information and the sharing of that or whether or not the competition that's, that's going to occur is such that anyone in the industry has very similar training or experience? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And um, probably the, some of the most sensitive situations involve the, the claim or allegation that the departed employee left with something that they shouldn't have had. Um, sensitive information or information, trade secrets, confidential information, proprietary information that uh, is viewed as very valuable to the former employer. Often it's not. <laughs> Often you'll hear from the employee, well, everyone knows that. That information was broadly disseminated. There were no protections on that information. But again, it almost doesn't matter because, you know, often I'm on the other side and the former employer is so concerned that they're not really too concerned about that. Uh, they're concerned about the employee um, calling on customers, using information that they think is, is sensitive. And frankly, um, the one type of situation you want to avoid if you can do it and try to, to try to mitigate the risk is when you're talking to an employee who hasn't left yet is to make sure that they don't do anything that's going to make them look like a bad actor. Sometimes even innocently accessing information that the former employer views as confidential information or proprietary can really make the, the departing employee look bad. And all of that is going to be discovered by a computer forensic review. And um, for example, I just had a case two weeks ago where uh, the number one salesperson for a company left, joined a direct competitor, and in the three weeks before that employee left, accessed customer lists, uh, forms, contracts, commission information for all the sales reps, and emailed it to himself from uh, the company's uh, email system. So the first thing we, we did was when we had a concern about the employee leaving for a competitor, we didn't know any of this, so we just asked the IT department to review his email activity. And you'd be surprised how often um, you know, employees do things that uh, without thinking, perhaps innocently, or with, an, you know, with a bad intent. And, um, and it really affects that, how that case spins out. Ultimately, the new employer rescinded the job offer to this employee because he was caught sort of red-handed, you know, taking things that he shouldn't have taken. And they didn't want that coming to them because it makes them look very bad. And I would think it not just makes them look bad, but then do you question what's going to happen when this individual leaves your organization? If or, or when that period of time comes, is this how you want them leaving your organization if, if that ultimately is what happens? It's an, it's an excellent point. In this case, the, uh, the new company actually had that problem against them. They had an employee who had, a sales employee who had left recently. So they were very sensitive uh, to the issue and, you know, didn't want to be associated with someone who, who does that. And, you know, frankly, if I'm talking to a company that hasn't hired an employee, I'm telling them, hey, tell the employee, don't do anything like that. Be very conspicuous about turning everything back into HR, set up an appointment, turn in your laptop, turn in all your storage devices, because you just, it's just not a problem that you want to have. Absolutely. Scott, thank you so much for your time today and your presentations today during the course of the annual update. Um, they provided all of our participants, I think, with a host of very valuable information, and I appreciate the time. Thank you, Tony. And you've been listening to the HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Running a company can feel like you're surrounded. A key person quits. A big project presents itself. You need good people fast. Hello, I'm David Chulo of Career Management Associates. Our contract staffing service will fill a position or find the right talent for a short-term project. Hundreds of companies choose us because we deliver people that fit. Career Management Associates, your contract staffing solution. 
Go to cmacareer.com. Are you looking to hire? Stop wasting time. Jobs in me.com has been matching main employers to job seekers since 1999. Job postings start at only $159 with their quick post product. Your employment ad can be distributed to over 75 job boards for maximum exposure. When it comes to recruiting locally, you can count on Jobs and ME to connect you with qualified candidates in this area. Visit jobsandme.com. That's jobsandme.com today. Stop searching and start hiring locally. Founded in 1958, Jackson Lewis is a national law firm with a local presence. The firm's 765 attorneys practicing in 54 locations throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico provide a wide range of resources to address every aspect of the employer-employee relationship. HR professionals, business and in-house counsels, and C-suite professionals count on Jackson Lewis as it has one of the most active employee litigation practices in the United States. Contact them today at jacksonlewis.com. That's jacksonlewis.com. Guys, when you buy your clothes at DXL, you look good. But you feel like a rock star. So if you want to look and feel like a... You'll find all the brands you love, waist size 38 and up, all in one awesome store. DXL, you're looking good. Right now, Harbor Bay long sleeve tees are just $29.99 each when you buy two or more. You're listening to HR Power Hour on WLOB 100.5 FM and WLOBradio.com. We have a special treat for you. What's that special treat? You have both posts here on the show today. Here with me, David Chulo. Well, hello, Tony. How are you? Good. I feel like it's been a bit of time since we have sat down and talked together. You know, it's true. We're always doing our individual shows, but now we are live together and it's kind of scary but fun. Scary but fun. I do like that. And what brings us together today is Veril's 2020 Annual Employment Law Update. So we are fun and having this wonderful conversation live at the annual update. There's no question we're here. It's been a great show today. By the way, I, as you know, we now have the new hashtag, which of course, hashtag no swirling. And maybe you should explain that because it was something. It was something. It was something. It's now living in infamy. No question. Yep, so we um, we had a dream that was presented during the course of the seminar itself, in which, in the dream, and thankfully this was only a dream and not a true client experience. Are we sure? Uh, we're going we're gonna to hope so. We're really okay, hoping I'll go so. with that. In which um, our, my fearless leader, um, Doug Courier, had a dream that the client called and said, I'm so excited during the course of my presentation of this award, the client said, I'm going to swirl the woman around. I'm just going to swirl her, swirl her to show her how excited I am and how much I appreciate this, to which the whole audience then cracks up laughing. Because of course, we did. Because swirling is not something that we find to be appropriate. I don't think that seems appropriate. Nope. Now, there are no statutes or legislation that discusses the appropriateness of swirling. This is true. I don't think there is anything. It could be under the uh, category of, um, you know, swirl. <laughs> Honestly. Honestly, and you're going to appreciate this. All I could think about when he was talking about swirling was an ice cream cone. I was like, ooh, oh, soft serve would be good right would now. Be so good. Yeah. I mean, it is mm. January as we're recording mm, no this. No question. But ice cream is, you know, universal. I 100% months, agree. No problem. This is when we got to get Giffords here and talking oh, about. I'll, I'll get a hold of Lindsay for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. The takeaway by the end of the day, and this is following the commissioner of labor giving a, a very lovely conversation. And I'm glad she was not swirled. Yes, about what is going on in Maine with the Department of Labor. And we end the session with hashtag swirling. So on that note. Hashtag no swirling. Hashtag, well, see, you can tell that I'm already very confused <laughs> by the concept. So hashtag no swirling. Is that what we want to spend the rest of the Probably episode Probably not, but let's about? get into the important stuff. Let's get into it. So. So let's talk about leave. I mean, because a lot of people, a lot of people just walked out after the hashtag no swirling. But let's talk about the protected leave from an employment standpoint. Um, how do how do we deal with it when you're talking to employers, when you're helping to guide them either as an outside consultant or working internally as their HR? 
how, how do you deal with it? Well, leave? you know, I think this is probably one of the toughest areas, right? Because leave is sometimes so personal and there's so many different aspects to it. You know, from a medical perspective, from a personal perspective, most employers, and I think you know this, 99.9% of employers want to do the right thing for their employers. It's not like they're saying to themselves, oh my God, somebody's trying to, you know, get away with something. There's usually something that is very personal to them, very emotionally connected to them, something that has happened to them or their family, right? Could be, you know, not just themselves, but something about them. And they take that very personal, right? They take it very connected. And the employer, the HR person on the other side, the business leader, the owner, is really talking about how am I going to handle this? And it's probably the biggest calls that we get. I'm sure one of the biggest ones you get because they're trying to figure out, I want to do the right thing. I got to stay within the law. And there's so many different laws that, and then they all overlap on one another that they're very confused. And this is probably one of the hardest areas. And you don't want to push too far, or ask questions that seem inappropriate because you want the information that you need, but you're always getting information that you don't want or need, right? One of the seminars today, we were talking about the differences between the Maine Family Medical Leave Act and the Federal Family Medical Leave Act. And one of the big differences between those statutes is FMLA talks about a spouse and Maine Family Medical Leave Act provides a formal leave for a domestic partner. Now, determining what qualifies as a domestic partner requires, requires a lot of questions. Have they been domiciled together? for over 12 months, right? What if it's only 11? Um, are either of the parties married? Do they plan to stay together in the future? I mean, think about most of the relationships that, that you know about right now. A lot of people aren't even having that conversation. Well, we're together now and we live together. Are we going to be together in the future? Some of these definitions become really difficult to have a conversation with an employee when, when you don't know them personally. Yeah, and then look, they may be on the em employee's medical plan. They may be put right on there after a couple months. And then there's this whole thing, well, he is or she is my partner. But you're saying I have to wait the 12 months. Wait a minute, that does it completely conflicts with what you say in one part of your policy and another part of the policy I'm not covered. And so most, uh, most of the time, as I said before, the employer wants to do the right thing. And they're just looking at it saying, okay, under state law, under federal law, these are the things I have to do. And I will tell you, the other part is they're so concerned about is making sure they're consistent for the next person that says it. And that's a big part of it because when you're dealing with it for one person and you maybe aren't asking all the questions because you have someone who's truthful and who's a hard worker and who, who you just have that relationship with already, I mean, you're creating a standard for the future. And if you don't ask the questions or if you let someone, I don't want to say get away with something more, but if you're more generous, that's not just for that one employee in most cases. Your generosity with one employee employee is going to be used as a standard with other employees. There's no question. The other thing is, is they don't know what paperwork to fill out. And they're not sure, like, is, do I fill out the FMLA paperwork? Do I fill out the federal guide? Do I fill out the state guide? Do I fill out the... These are the should next, I make my own guide? Should I make my own? Should I, you know, do, do I have to make sure there's certain boxes, certain language? You know, where do I file it? Who do I send it to? Where do I keep the record? Is that a separate folder? Is that a separate way? Do they sign it? Do I sign it? Does the doctor sign it? Mm -hmm. What if they don't give it back to me when I tell them to? How, but I know that it's FMLA qualifying. What am I supposed to do in, in that situation? Or what if it's still unclear to me whether or not the person's taking time off to care for a sick child or if they're just taking time off to care for the other children while a spouse cares for the sick child. I mean, those tiny changes and facts very specifically change whether or not we're looking at protected leave or unprotected leave that's going to qualify purely under a PTO or other leave um, policy. Well, you know what's interesting about it? It's not only in the decision-making process. It's how about when they come back? You know, how about the fact is, okay, so the leave, we gave them 12 weeks, but wait a minute, you know, they need an additional two weeks. Yeah, is that covered by a different rule or law? Has something changed within that time frame? And now they are eligible for FMLA or something else. What has changed? Do we pay them? How about how much do we pay them? Do they have to use PTO? Do they, all those questions come right out. And these are legitimate questions that employers struggle with every single day. 
we're doing a good job of asking each other a lot of questions, which our listeners, I'm sure, are like, hold on a second, everyone. Like, we can't put the two of them on the radio together because they just look at each other and they ask a bunch of questions, right? It's but true. the good news is, is let's talk about some things that are helpful in dealing with leave. So in, in my opinion, I, I really think that a strong policy serves as a good foundational element. David, what would you be looking at or considering when you are crafting the policy language? Yeah, I mean, obviously, let's start with the basic, the law, right? Making sure that you understand. I know that, Tony, that's dear to your heart, but the law. Just a little. Uh, just a little, <laughs> right? And making sure that at least it covers what it is that you're looking for. The second thing would be, what is the consistent information that you're trying to gain from people to cover the law information or what you really truly need? And so the forms really need to cover that information, not more, not less. And then there probably needs to be an area where you have what I call extenuating circumstances, something that can give you a little bit of wiggle room, sure you need it. So those are the first things that pop right into mind. I definitely agree with that because I think understanding the laws that are applicable to you, but also understanding um, what the next two to five years looks like for your organization. If you're an organization that has 11 or 12 individuals and you're looking at a growth plan in which um, you're going to have 20 by the end of the year, you might not want to create a policy that doesn't take into account the Maine Family Medical Leave Act. You might want to create policies and practices now when the statute isn't applicable with the understanding that very soon it's going to be. And if you're going to put time and energy into policy creation and really focusing on these type of things, provide just that little extra so from an administrative standpoint you don't have to go back in the future and recreate the wheel. You know the other thing Tony I would ask and maybe you can answer this is then there's the communication with the employee. What type of letters are involved? What type of notifications are involved? How do you craft those type of uh, detailed communications and make sure you have a calendar of when they should go out? Yeah, so one of the aspects of one of the seminars we did today at the 2020 annual update was a very hands-on um, approach to, it was mental health. But mental health in the workplace normally involves both the ADA and the Maine Human Rights Act, right? But also a multitude of different leave laws from victims of violence to Maine Family Medical Leave to potentially Federal Family Medical Leave Act. In that session, what I did was after I we gave a hypothetical, we created this appendix or this table. And in the table, I put down my to-do list, right? Things that I needed to do. And then in the next column, I said, why do I need to do this, right? Um, is it under the ADA? Is it under... And I then processed it that way. And I'm a I'm an organizing type processor. No. Anyways, I know it's hard to believe. The <laughs> spreadsheets that are in my personal life and my professional life would make people's eyes roll. But And then in the final column, what I did is I put what paperwork, if any, do I need to communicate? I find that employers who provide as much written documentation to employees about the need for leave and the processes and procedures end up being in the best possible place in the future. The reason is, is because oftentimes when someone's dealing with a leave, it is extremely, they've got a lot going on. I recall this personal experience, walking my mother through the FMLA policy that she was dealing with with her company as my grandfather um, was in hospice and passing. And and walking her through and saying, let's find the policy handbook. Okay, what does that say? Now let's do the documents. It's not that my mother didn't understand what the documents said or what was included there, but at that point in time, what she was dealing with, she could not focus in on the documents. Right. And you have to recall and remember this. This isn't something where the employee is choosing not to follow your direction or is not listening to you. Their mind in so many situations is focused on bigger life picture things as it should be. So the more that you can give them written documents that they can refer to later or that they can have another family member help them to deconstruct or decode, I think the better. There's no question that if you can keep it simple, right, the old keep it simple model. Um, the other thing is that 
from a documentation standpoint and from a, a, a retention standpoint, this becomes so important for the employer because if you should have to defend why you made decisions, should you have to make an understanding to the Department of Labor or to the courts, this standardization of this process makes it so important. And you can have your files set up with like, okay, somebody has told me about uh, ADA protected possible disability and they might need leave as a result. Here is the documentation that I need them to have their doctor complete. And also remember that you need to attach a copy of the job description to it, right? So by having those procedures in place, it's going to be helpful if we ever are litigating it to show the similarities. Because oftentimes when we have dissimilar processes that occur during the course of litigation, it's not purposeful. It's just a result of either different training, a different HR person, or generally lack of time and resources. Well, as I said before, employees want to do the right thing. It's just, hey, look, do they do this every day? No. Do they do this maybe once a year? Maybe. Um, for larger organizations, of course, it's more often. But for most smaller employers, 25, 50 employees, they're like, maybe this happens once every two years. And if you don't at least have the process in place so that that person who's working can go back and say, okay, here is what we need to do. And then they don't spend a day, two days researching everything again. That really is the key to make it very simple and consistent. And even companies on the smaller scale who don't have a leave tracking program or something like that, explaining to them, you can use just an Excel document, right? But each employee is going to have to have their own separate Excel document in which we are keeping track of what's protected leave, what's unprotected leave under the FMLA, when will a rolling calendar period end and new hours come into effect. It's not always like huge technical programs that you need to buy, but you do have to be organized enough to have a process in place. And you have to keep it updated. You know, this is the other part that I always try to remind people is you may have something in place, you may have a policy in place, you may have all this, hey, the rules change. Hey, look, we have another rule changing in 2021, January 1st on leave. Um, we heard about it today from the commissioner, and she said, hey, you know, we're listening, we're writing the regulations, we don't really know what it's all going to say yet, and so we're all sitting here waiting for those answers, and that's going to, again, change the rules, change the regulations, change what has to happen. David, thank you so much for giving me some of your time today and attending the 2020 annual Verrill Labor and Employment Law Seminar. It's always fun for us to sit down together and definitely a treat for me. It's awesome. And now your HR Tip of the Week. Your HR Tip of the Week is being sponsored by Verrill. Think back. Who was the best boss you've ever had? Hi, this is Ben Ford from Verrill's Labor and Employment Practice Group. What made your best boss your best boss? Was it that they expected more of you than even you thought you could deliver? Was it that you felt empowered to approach your job with a certain level of creativity? Did you feel like you had a stake in the outcome of your work? Did they hold you and everyone else accountable? These are attributes of great leaders, and here is the cool thing. As a human resources professional, you are in a critical position to foster a culture that can enliven great leadership. You may not be the CEO, but you still play a part. Every time you speak, write, train, or present, you reflect the company culture. And in doing so, you help drive that culture. So the next time you are feeling bogged down in FMLA forms or handbook updates, remember, you are a company culture warrior. And don't forget that. Got a question about driving company culture? Call Verrill's Employment Practice Group. And that's your HR Tip of the Week, sponsored by Verrill. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and catch us every week at 10 a.m. on News Talk WLLB 100.5 FM or 1310 a.m. and streaming live at WLOBradio.com. Podcasts of this show and every show are available at hrpowerhour.com. Have a great week, everyone. And remember, HR management is critical to your business's success.